You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Hey, welcome back to week three of the Thin Red Line when our series about how to be a good man. And uh, this is a series not, not just for men, but it's a series really for everybody who has to interact with men. It's a series for ladies who are married to a man, you're dating a man, you're raising a son to be a man, uh, you work with some men. And so this really is our series uh, for everybody. And, and, and here's what we know throughout this series, that when men get better, everybody gets better. And so we want to figure out what does it mean to be a good man. Here's, here's where we've been over the past several weeks. Uh, the first week of this series, we said that we need to redefine what it means to be a man. And the way that we redefine what it means to be a man is we go back to the operator's manual. We look at God's word, at the truth that was written by the patent holder, written by the manufacturer, written by the one who knows us best. Because what we've done when it comes to be a man is we've, we've pieced together, we've cobbled together pieces of what it means to be a man from culture and society, uh, from books, movies, from our past. But we've said, no, it's time to redefine it and go back to the operator's manual. And then last week, what we found is that the reason why so many of us fall short when it comes to being the man God has called us to be is because at some point along the way, we've made a bad exchange. Like, like God has said, here's, here's what's true, here's what's right, and at some point we said, thanks so much, but I'm going to go my own way. And so we've made a bad exchange. We said, it's time to go back to the operator's manual. Today, as we continue in this journey of becoming good men, I want to preach from this title. Take a moment to write it down. The title for this sermon is this, Prepare for War. Prepare for War. If we're going to be the men God has called us to be, then we got to prepare for war. But before we can prepare for war, we got to go back to figure out what kind of war we're preparing for. We, we got to better understand our origin and our identity. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up uh, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to revisit our origin story, Genesis chapter 1. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about the scriptures. God has been speaking for all of human history and he gives us our origin story in the very beginning. And, and, and it's good to go back to the origin story, especially when you get off course, right? And so if we've made a bad exchange, if we've traded the truth of God for a lie and we're going in the wrong direction, it's often good to course correct, not by uh, making incremental changes, but by just going all the way back to the beginning and figuring out who are we and why are we here? So in Genesis chapter 1, here, here's what we have. We have the story of God creating everything, right? And, and the way that God creates everything is he speaks it into existence. And so God says, let there be light, and there's light, just like that. And he says, it's good. That's on day one. Day two, God creates a sky, and there's sky. He, he just speaks it into existence. It's there, and then God says, it's good. On day three, God creates um, the, the land and vegetation, so plants and trees, and he says, it's good. On day four, God creates the solar system, stars, galaxies, planets, and he says it's good. On day five, God creates uh, the, the sea animals, um, birds, uh, animals for the sky, animals for the sea. He says it's good. And then on day six, God creates all the land animals. But then 
at the end of day six, just before the sun is about to set, God gets to the pinnacle of his creative genius. He's about to create his masterpiece, and he creates humanity in his own image. Here's, here's this recorded for us, Genesis 1.26. says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And so through all of creation, God is speaking things into existence. But for the first time in the history of creation, just six days, God stops speaking, and he stoops down to the ground, and he begins to mold this image from the dirt of the ground with his own hands. Look, says the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He doesn't speak man into existence, but he forms man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is what sets you apart from everything else in all of creation. You are not spoken into existence, but you are formed, you are molded, you are crafted, you are created by the hands of God. And he breathed his breath into your lungs. You're unique, you're special, you matter. And then Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God creates a man, and we see that this man um, is made in the image of God. So when you see another person, and this is true about all humanity, not just men, but when you see another person, you're seeing someone who's an image bearer of God. That's not just some person, that's not just f- flesh and blood, they're an image bearer of God. No matter what they've been through, no matter what they've done, no matter what their past or their history is, they are an image bearer of God. And as fellow image bearers of God, we've been called to love them, to care for them, and to treat them like we would treat ourselves. So here's what we see in Genesis 1. We're created to be image bearers of God. Now, not, not, not physical image bearers of God. We, we don't look like God physically. God is not confined to just a physical body, a physical being. But we're made in the image, the likeness, the, the quality, the character of God. And so we see that people are created to be image bearers of God. And then on top of that, what we find is that, um, so, so God creates everything. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything belongs to God. But what's fascinating to me is that God creates everything and then he says to humanity, now rule over it. Like I've made everything. I've made you in my image and now I want you to co-rule with me. It's our job, it's our role, it's our responsibility, men and women, everybody, to co-rule with God over the creation that he's made. And so, I mean, this is just tremendous power. We've been entrusted to care for the dominion that God has created. And the third thing that we find from this is, so we're made in the image of God. We're also made to co-rule with God. But the third thing that we find is that we're good. We're good. When God created humanity, and he looked at everything he had created, he said, it's very good. Do you believe that about yourself? That you are very good. I mean, I know you've done some stuff in your life. Same here. I know you've messed up. I know you've screwed up. I know you've hurt some people. 
I know you live with some regrets. Same here. But when God looks at you, he says, you're good. You're good. You're not some dirty, rotten sinner. You're good. You're good. So we find right here, just as we look back at our origin story, that we're created in the image of God. We're created to co-rule with God, and we're created good. And so this is true about men and women. Now, I want to look at what's true about just men, okay? Um, We find this in Genesis 2.15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's what, here's what we find God does with Adam. So God has this man, Adam. He puts him in a garden, and he says, this is your kingdom. This is your dominion. Now rule over it. And it's your job, Adam. Look, it's your job to work it, provide, and take care of it, protect. Man, I'm putting you in this kingdom to provide and to protect. What we find with Adam is God has made him a king of his kingdom, and he's given him some responsibility to steward the kingdom he's been given, to manage the kingdom he's been entrusted. You know, last year I led this group called uh, The Watchmen, and it was a men's group, and um, we got together and we, and we operated from this premise that you are the watchman of the kingdom God has entrusted to you. And the question is, will you be a good watchman or a bad watchman? Everything in your dominion, everything in your sphere of influence, the people and the possessions that are connected to you, that you touch, you are the watchman for those things. And the question is, will you be a good watchman? Will you be a bad watchman? And you cannot abdicate responsibility. You cannot say, it's not my responsibility, I don't know. No, because it's yours. You've been entrusted to overlook this. If you do that, you'll be a bad watchman, a weak watchman. And then you've got to take care of it. You've got to provide for it. And if you rule over it in a tyrannical way, then you're, you, you're a watchman who just runs roughshod over everything that's been entrusted to him, and you leave damage in your wake. And this is, this is what happens with Adam. Adam is given this kingdom to, to oversee and, and to rule and Adam has to make the decision. Men, you have to make the decision. Will I be a good king or a bad king? The question is not, are you going to be a king? Because you are. The question is, will you be a good king or a bad king? And some men have been tyrannical kings. Some men have have used their power and their strength and their might to rule over those entrusted to them in a bad way. You're going to do what I say because I said so. You're going to do what I say because I'm bigger than you. You're going to do what I say because of my power and my position. And we've run over some people. And you know some tyrannical kings. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it's your ex-husband. Maybe it's your husband now. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's even you. And so we have the choice. Will we be a tyrannical king, using and abusing and and misusing and abusing our masculinity to run over people, wound people, hurt people, or will we be a good king? 
Those aren't the only two options, though. We could be a, a tyrannical king. We could be a good king, but we could also be a weak king. And this is a king that's passive. This is a king that's ineffective. This is a king that's impotent, not, not physically, but, but, but this is a king who says, it's not my responsibility, not my problem. This is a king who's a victim. This is a king who passes the blame. Well, I'm like this because my dad wasn't around. I'm like this because I didn't have a good example. I'm like this because my job. I'm like this because of society and government and culture. This is a king who just passes a responsibility. And so the question, men, is not will you be a king? You are. The question is, will you be a good king or a bad king? Because everyone in your sphere of influence is looking to you to lead well. So just like Adam, he has this, this kingdom uh, to watch over. And I'll, I want to show you how, how Adam uh, treats this responsibility of being a king. It's, it's found in Genesis chapter 3. So, so here's what happens. Uh, Adam has been given this kingdom uh, to watch over, to rule over, and it's his responsibility to be a good king, Right? But then what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is Eve, now, now she's her own person, she's married to Adam, she's her own person, she makes her own decisions, so she's responsible for her decisions, but Eve falls under the umbrella of Adam's kingdom, so not only do the things that she does affect her, but it affects him, because she's under his authority, under his responsibility as the king of his kingdom. Eve, what she decides to do is rebel against God, and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit that God told them not to eat from. Again, that's on Eve, but it's also on Adam, because she's in his kingdom. And when she eats from the, the fruit, listen, it's not, it's not about the fruit. Like God tells them, hey, don't eat from the fruit, not because he cares about the fruit, not because he wants to have plenty for himself, but he tells them, don't eat from the fruit, because he wants to give them a choice to follow him. See, love is love, is love when you can choose it. Love is love when you have an option not to love. If I told my kids, you're going to love me and they have no choice, well, how do I know it's love? And so God gives them a choice. Hey, everything is yours, all of it, all of it, all of it. But I'm going to give you this one small inkling of a choice to not choose me. He says, don't eat from this tree. And sure enough, they, they, they eat from the tree. And listen, you and I do the same thing every day. We have the choice to follow God or not follow God in every area of our life, right? Again, there are times that we just make a bad exchange. God, I know your word says this, but I'm going to do this in my relationships. I know your word says this, but I'm going to do this in my money. I know your word says this, but I'm going to do this when it comes to my fear and anxiety and how I live my life. We make the choice just like Eve did. And so Eve makes the choice to eat from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And when uh, she eats, she gives some to Adam who eats as well. So not only is he responsible because she's in his kingdom, he's responsible because he does the very thing God told him not to do. And after they both eat from the tree, they look at each other and say, uh-oh, because they realize that they're naked. Now before eating from the tree, they were naked, but there was no uh-oh moment. They were naked and they were like, oh, this is all good. But now they eat from the tree and they realize they're naked and the scriptures say they felt shame. You know what shame is? Shame is what we feel when we feel exposed. Shame is what we feel when we just realize I've done something wrong. 
So what they do is they, they cover up and they go, go hide. And I want to show you what Adam does as the king of his kingdom when confronted with this. Because they're hiding in their shame. God enters the scene. And I want you to notice who God calls out to. Genesis 3 verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Eve was the first one to eat from the tree. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Well, hold on, she did it first. She's the one who kind of led the way. Why don't you call out to her? Why don't you hold her responsible? The Lord God called out to the man because the woman falls under his kingdom, under his dominion, under his authority, under his power. So ultimately, he's the one who's responsible. The Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Where are you? It's Adam's responsibility to provide and to protect but I want you to see what Adam does. And it happens so quick, you might miss it. Watch this. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Who told you there was something wrong with that? Can I just take a minute to ask you that question? Who told you there was something wrong with you? Who told you you weren't worth anything? Who told you you don't have what it takes? Who told you? Have you been believing a lie? Who, who told you that? And now you feel shame over something I made was very good? This is what sin does. Sin twists and distorts what's very good to make it shameful, to make it something we're afraid of. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam comes, or God comes along. He says, Adam, what have you done? And Adam says, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Listen, the woman, her, that you put here with me, it's her fault. And not only is it her fault, but God, it's your fault. Because you're the one who put her here with me. What Adam does when, when confronted with fessing up, facing his responsibility, being a man, is he passes the blame. Not my fault. Somebody else's fault. God, it's your fault. Can I ask you, have, have you ever passed the blame? Have you ever... Have you ever like misplace your responsibility and put it on somebody else? Are you doing that now? Like, is there a moment where you're just like living as a victim here and now? And it's not my fault. I don't, it's somebody, this is what Adam does. He passes the blame. At no point, and, and listen, wouldn't it be refreshing? Wouldn't it be great if Adam says, I messed up. My bad. I screwed up. But instead, he postures up, he, he gets defensive, it, it's not me. Don't you hate it when people get defensive? When people, you know, and you can see, it, and, and, and this is the thing about responsibility. When you're on the outside of it, you can see who needs to be responsible, but the person who needs to be responsible can't see it, so they pass it on to somebody else. What if, wouldn't it be great? What if, what if, what if? We just owned up to our crap. 
and took responsibility. I mean, how much different would the world be if men led the way in this, to be strong men and take responsibility? But Adam doesn't do that. The woman you put here, she, she made me. So, so, so here's, here's what we find as we look back at our origin story. What we find is that a man is an image bearer of God who's created to co-rule with God by working, providing, and keeping, protecting everything entrusted to him with the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility, right? This, this is what a man is. And this is why I love this origin story that we have because the creation story defines for us what a strong man is, what a good man is. Now, if you believe the other story, and that's an option for you. you, you can believe the other story that's taught in middle school and high school. If you believe that story, then that story actually gives you an excuse to be a weak man or a tyrannical man. Because the, the other story says this, that you're an accident. You're a cosmological accident. And so why shouldn't you take responsibility? You're not here for a purpose. You're not here for a reason. Like, why should you take responsibility? It doesn't matter. Just be a weak, passive man. That's okay. Or it's survival of the fittest. It's all about what you can get, when you can get it. So do everything you can to get it. Be a tyrannical man. Run over people. Do whatever it takes. That's what that story offers. But, but this story here gives us a third option and it lets us know who we really are. A man is an image bearer of God, created to co-rule with God by working, providing, and keeping, protecting everything entrusted to him with the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. So that's who you are. That's your origin story, man. But now that you know that, what do we do about it? That's where we've been, what do we do about it? Let's get practical. And Jesus actually gives us a way to be practical. Jesus teaches us what to do now that we understand who we really are. And so there's this, there's this story that Jesus tells um, that it, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. We'll read it and, and we'll break it down. Luke chapter 11, verse 21. Jesus says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. This may sound really weird, but we'll, we'll break it down. Jesus telling this story, he gives us a metaphor for life, but we'll just make it literal. He says, when a strong man guards his house, his house is safe. Those entrusted to him are safe. His possessions are safe. And so for me, um, if, if, if my house is protected, and it is, we, we have an alarm system. Uh, the alarm system we have is called Six Sour P320, and it's filled with 17 hollow point rounds with a magazine uh, to back up uh, once that magazine's gone. But our house is protected, and because my house is protected, the things in my house, not just physical things, computers, TV, stuff like that, but the people in my house are protected. But if somebody stronger than me comes in and overpowers me, Jesus says, um, then that person will take away the armor in which the man trusted and divide up his plunder. If someone stronger than me comes in and overpowers me, 
Uh, he will divide up my plunder. There's, there's, there's two other times that Jesus tells this story uh, in two other gospels. And when he, when he says it there, he says, this man will come in and tie up that other man. And so it's hard when you're tied up to protect. It's, it's hard when you're tied up to defend. He says he will tie up that other man and then divide the spoils. Dividing the spoils is essentially he will come in and take what's mine as his and he will use what's mine as his. So he will have his way with my stuff. He will have his way with my wife. He will have his way with my son. He will have his way with my daughter. That's what Jesus is saying. So he gives this, this story. Again, it, it, it's a metaphor, not, not just about um, something happened physically, physically, but something happened spiritually. And, and I think for, for, for some of us, I mean, if, if somebody were to physically come into your space, maybe you'd be ready to handle them. You'd be able to protect what's yours. But when Jesus talks about this intruder coming in, um, in a spiritual sense, the question is, are you ready for that? Because you have a very real enemy who's been creeping on you, wanting to take you out since the beginning of your life. So he, he tells this story, letting us know that there's, there's someone who wants to come into your space, take over your possessions, Treat what's yours as his, wreck, ruin, and wreak havoc on everything you hold dear in your kingdom. And Paul, this early church planter, this, this guy who wrote a third of the New Testament, lets us know who this enemy is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, here's why, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There it is. The invader who wants to come into your life, the one who wants to wreak havoc in your life, he says, is the devil. Listen, I, I'm not asking you to believe in, in some guy who, who's wearing a red suit, has horns and a pitchfork, right? I mean, if you don't believe that, I get it. I get it, right? Um, but as he, 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 he talks about taking our stand against the devil's schemes, and, and again, the devil isn't some character um, from a cartoon um, and even if you don't believe in the devil, I, I get it, but, but you've experienced his schemes. You've experienced how he works in your life. You've experienced the presence of the devil, whether you believe him or not, because you've given into the temptation time and time again. Maybe, maybe some of you have fallen victim to, to the addiction that keeps plaguing you over and over again. You look in the mirror and you wonder who you really are. What's wrong with me? And how come I'm not who I want to be? It's because you've experienced the schemes of the enemy. And what we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, is that you have a very real enemy who has some schemes, and his schemes are particular to you. His schemes are particular to you. His schemes are particular to you. And so the devil is going to come at you, not like he's going to come at other men, because he's going to come at you uh, focusing on your weaknesses. And the plan, the schemes that he has for you are different from the plans and the schemes that he has to the next man and the next man and the next man. Because his goal is to come into your kingdom, into your dominion, and take you out. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. You have a very real enemy who's looking at you saying, I'm coming after you. Not only am I coming after you, but I'm coming after your wife. I'm coming after your future wife if you're not married. I'm coming after your girlfriend if you're dating. I'm coming after your kids. And the question is, are you ready? 
Are you prepared for war to do battle with him? Here's what Jesus says his motives are. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So woe to the man who's been caught sleeping. Woe to the man who's let down his guard. Woe to the man who's been haphazardly watching over and leading and guarding and protecting and caring for those in his kingdom. The outcome is the same as Adam's. Here's what we know about Adam. Adam was a weak man. Not only do we know that Adam was a weak man because he passed responsibility when it was time to take responsibility, but look, this is a part that I didn't read to you, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, now the serpent, and this is the, the, um, the anthropomorphic version of Satan here, the devil, the enemy, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. <clears throat> he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. Well, certainly you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Again, we could look at all this and say, see, it's her fault. What's wrong with her? Why did she? Here's the next sentence. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. The enemy comes in. He has his way with Adam's wife, and Adam is standing there doing nothing about it. He's there while the whole conversation's going on. He sees what's happening, but he's weak. He's passive. He does nothing. And the enemy has his way with Adam's wife, has his way with Adam, and the rest is history. See, the story that Jesus tells us about the strong man isn't anything new. It's a story from the very beginning. It's a story from creation. Here's this man that God created in his image to co-rule with him, to provide and, and to protect. He was created to be a strong man. God gave him a kingdom to be the king over, a dominion to rule. But Adam made a bad exchange and became a weak man. And he wasn't ready for war. Because when the enemy came with his schemes, Adam just stood by and let him plunder his kingdom. Men, I wonder, have you been Adam in some areas of your life? Have you allowed the enemy to come in and run roughshod all over you? And you just said, well, it's not my responsibility. Men, I wonder, have you have you grown up from being boys to being the men God has called you to be? Because there's some people entrusted to you. There's some people in your kingdom who need you to rise up and be the man God has called you to be. They need you to be prepared for war because he's coming after you. He's coming after you now. And if you're not ready, you'll fall. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, this war we have to prepare for is not a physical war. This isn't one where you can get some more guns and more ammo and more knives. If it was a physical war, it'd be easier. This isn't a war that you can go to the gym and get pumped up at and get ready. Let's go. If it was, that'd be easier. This is a spiritual war that takes place in the real world. And Satan is coming after you. Satan is coming after your kingdom, just like he came after Adam's kingdom. And here's Satan's scheme. Here's his plan. Here's his goal. Here's his desire. He's thinking to himself, if I could just take out that man, I could take out everybody connected to that man. If I could just take out that man, everybody in his kingdom, I can take them out too. This is what happened with Adam. Adam was taken out. And we're affected by it. See, when Adam ate from the tree, sin enters the world, destroys, wrecks, ruins everything. We are living in the wake of something Adam did. You're living in the wake of the fall of a man. Maybe, maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe your dad was a tyrannical king. Maybe he was a passive king. And here you are 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, affected by something your dad did or didn't do by the fall of your dad. Because Satan knew if I could just take that man out, I could take his son out. I could take his daughter out. Here here you are now, divorced, married to someone, crying yourself to sleep at night. Because Satan knows if I can just take that man that you're connected to out, I can take them out too. If I can take that man out, I can take all those in his kingdom out as well. And it's because of this, some of us are living with these consequences later on. Satan took your dad out and it's impacted your life. Satan um, has taken uh, your, your, your dad's marriage out, right? And so you look at your parents' marriage and you say, man, if that's how marriage is, then no thanks. I don't want any part of it. Or your marriage is a wreck because your example of a dad, uh, the, the example that your dad set on how love looks like and, and how you should treat and care for a woman was terrible, Maybe you wrestle with insecurities and self-doubt and anger because someone from your past got taken out. They fell, they failed from the schemes of the enemy. So men, you have to determine it's not going to be me because I'm going to be a strong king. I'm going to be a good king. So how do we stand strong in the face of Satan's schemes? Here it is. Ephesians 6.13, therefore put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. This is something you got to put on. Nobody's going to put it on for you. Nobody's going to help you do this. You got to put it on. You got to determine to do it. You got to be intentional about it. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, when Satan attacks your son's security, saying he's not worth it, when Satan attacks your daughter's sense of identity, saying nobody could really love her, When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith from which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Next week, we're going to go through this armor. Next week, we're going to look at each piece of this armor. I'm going to teach you what it's about and how to put it on. But for now, we just have to determine it's time to stand. It's time to stand because God has made me in his image to co-rule with him. He's given me a kingdom to provide for and to protect. And I am going to assume sacrificial responsibility. That's how we prepare for war. Next week, like I said, we'll talk about the armor of God. I'm going to preach from this title, You're Going to Need All of It. You're going to need all of it, not just some of it. Because if we're going to stand, we've got to put this armor on, and we've got to understand who we are. So men, you're a king. You've been given a kingdom. You're entrusted to rule over a dominion. And the question is, will you be a good king? Will you be a good man? Will you rise and stand? Are you ready to take ownership and responsibility for your life? Are you ready to stop making excuses and living as a victim? Are you willing to rise up and provide and protect for those to whom God has entrusted to you? Because the truth is, there's an enemy coming after you wanting to take you out. And so it's time to rise, it's time to stand, it's time to put on the full armor of God and say, I will not be a weak king, I will not be a passive king, I will not be a tyrannical king, but instead, I'll be the king God has called me to be. Because I got some people who are looking at me, saying, we need you to be that. We need you to be that. And I will not abdicate my responsibility, but I will lead the way as a good man. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for your grace, your grace, your grace. I know you've called me to be this king over my kingdom to care for those who are entrusted to me, but the truth is I don't always get it right. I fall. I falter. But God, thank you for your grace and the strength you give me to get back up and press on. Pray for the men in our church. I pray for the men who are listening to this. God, if they've abdicated responsibility, if they've become weak and passive, God, let them rise up and stand strong and assume the role you've given them as the kings of their kingdoms. If there's men here who have, who have been tyrannical and just misunderstood what it meant to be a king, they've misused and abused their power, God, I pray you humble them. And help them step into this arena of being a good man, a good king, who will provide and protect those who are in his kingdom. God, let us stand strong against the schemes of Satan. Let us assume responsibility for those in our kingdom. And let us armor up, prepare for war. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires challenges and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.